I just made a word up. That's so funny. <laughs> we just became a conglomerate. <laughs> Where did that word come from? More than five letters. More yeah, than five not, letters. That's, that's, right. that's five syllables. That's more than five letters. My husband works with computers, and that is very different <laughs> than ministry. Yeah. So I can throw something out, and you can say, that's stupid, Kay. We have a severe case of collective ADD. <laughs> I'm sorry, listeners. Community and connection have been vitally important because, you know, if you do it by yourself, it's all your fault. There were 15 of us in a tiny room. With- we have no idea how professional or unprofessional this thing may turn out once we're done with it. Check, check, one, two. Is this thing on? Welcome to the Cultivating Ministry Podcast. Strategies, resources, and conversations equipping ministry leaders to cultivate healthy ministry environments. That was easy for me to say, right? Cultivate. You'd think I'd have that word down, by the way. Uh, my name is Chris Lynch, the host of the Cultivating Ministry podcast. Uh, and as always, I'm here. Well, I'm here with two thirds of the lovely ladies. Tonight, I'm here with Laura McLean and Kay Wolfinger. Uh, uh, Caroline Wood could not join us. We'll miss her. Say hello, ladies. Hello, hello ladies. ladies. Hello, ladies. Hello, ladies. <laughs> We're so excited. It feels weird without Caroline. I know. It's bizarro world. Um, well, we figure from time to time with our schedules, there's going to be opportunities like this. And we figure we're what, 18 episodes or so in, and this is the, uh, first time we've had to do one without one of our, uh, compadres. It's a little sad. We're going to make it through it and hopefully still offer you, um, the quality information you've come to expect from the cultivating ministry podcast. Uh, tonight we're going to continue through. Uh, or whenever you listen to this, it might not be night where you are. It might be early in the morning. If you want to, y'all were early risers. Okay, has to be now. I am, yeah. yes. And I listen to podcasts in the morning. And there you so. go. Or maybe nighttime. It could be the middle of the day. Who knows where you are and what time it is. So we're going to continue our series of of healthy, uh, healthy habits this week as we start off a new year with four sessions about healthy habits. We've already talked about over the last couple of weeks. Uh, healthy boundaries and healthy staff relationships. This week, we're going to move to a conversation about uh, a healthy habit of having accountability uh, in your life and the importance of that. And I have to be honest, guys, when I, I have this accountability as a word, you know how you have some words that when you hear those words, you automatically think of another word that's sometimes connected and sometimes not really. <laughs> yeah, accountability is one of those more. When I think of accountability, I think of accounting. And then, and then I am, I mean, I mean, you can see the connection there. They really yeah, have nothing to do. Sure. Yeah. 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 I guess they have something to do with each other, but then I start having like these flashbacks to college and the classes I hated in college. And, and, and then I just, I, I don't know. It's <laughs> and it's just a spiral. It's, it's bizarre. It was one of my least favorite classes in college was accounting. And so it got me thinking what, what were like your least favorite subjects in school, whether it was college or high school or mm-hmm. what, what was your least favorite thing to do? Oh, I can tell you right now, it was in high school, chemistry. I love English. I love writing. That's my brain. And um, our chemistry, high school chemistry teacher um, wrote the textbook. It, so, oh. I mean. I hope and- Kay's high school chemistry teacher is not listening because he um, may be getting maybe news to him or her. I don't know that she is alive. Oh, to be quite honest. Um, and Rest in peace. And I have to say that 
I learned very little and probably cheated most of my way through. Not going to lie. So, Kay, I think I'm right. You <laughs> Thank were... you for being accountable about that, Kay. That was a beautiful Laura. Thanks. 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 Um, <laughs> Kay, but now if, I'm, if I'm remembering correctly, in your previous life before ministry, you were an English teacher, correct? That yes, yeah, that's what I was thinking. So, which, which, which would I would think that if you polled like every English teacher in the history of mankind, or if you just did a family feud poll and polled a hundred of them, that and you asked them what their least favorite subject were, I would say probably seventy five percent of English teachers would say chemistry, probably twenty five percent would say math. So I actually loved chemistry. I but, would uh, see, <laughs> see, but. In math, I'm not, I wasn't great at math, but um, geometry, I love geometry and yeah. more, most math people don't like geometry now, because it's I, all about- I, I like geometry. Now I will say that my, my youngest daughter just finished like today. She started her next semester in high school. They did that block schedule where you do basically mm-hmm. you know, one set yeah. and they just started. And I'm, so we have, I think I've mentioned this before in the podcast, Michelle and I had this arrangement that I do. I help with all the uh, science and math. Michelle helps with all the English and history and that kind of stuff, uh, because I I I despise. I I don't. I've gotten to where I like. I don't. I like writing, and I think I'm okay at it. I'm not great by any means, which is probably the reason I haven't written my book yet. But, um, I, but I I just did not like um the reading part. I've had to learn mm-hmm. to be a reader in life and 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 i definitely did not like the grammar part i guess part of that's my you know southern self and Kay's like the gr- grammatical nazi i love <laughs> i there. love grammar and i love diagramming sentences oh that makes me want to well it makes me nauseous yeah. well i mean <laughs> i just don't know why you would ever need to diagram a sentence that, you know what i think that's right you. up there with why would i need to know pre-cal those two things do not affect my daily so life. So no, they don't. But here's the thing. Diagramming a sentence helps you understand language and helps you understand punctuation and the need for it. I'll take your word If you for say it. so. Yep. I'll take yeah. Laura. What was your least favorite subject in school? Um, so high school, it was pre-cal. That was awful for me. Like awful. So pre-cal cured me of loving math. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I, I love. Well, I actually, I was okay with pre-cal. Calculus cured me of loving oh. math. No, I quit at pre-cal. I could have taken another math class, but I said no, thank you. Yeah. And then I went to a small liberal arts school, majored in religion, and I didn't really have to take much math, which was a beautiful thing. Absolutely. <laughs> we called it math for dummies, but it was math for liberal arts majors. And I'm not joking that the hardest thing I did was like a circle graph so that was check check let, check. let me just clarify before we get nasty grams from every liberal arts um college graduate laura did not say that if you were got a liberal arts mm. education that you that your math was for that you're a dummy she did not call no it. yeah i just want to make sure we're no clear. just the specific class that i took that's what i <laughs> called it because it was my class <laughs> we drew but, circles in our math class right yeah exactly it was it was not the most challenging class I had, math, which I appreciate. Part, part math, part art. Art, which no joke. So my first grader and my kindergartner, that is math now. Like they have to yeah. draw everything, which yeah. is new, but I can see how it helps. Anyway, but in college, I really had a hard time with my biology class. It was also at 8 a.m., which didn't help. And that semester, because I don't know, I was glutton for punishment, I guess. I had an 
eight, nine, 10, 11, and 12. What? Straight through. Were you doing to yourself? I hope on Tuesday and Thursday you like had. I didn't have anything. Yeah, I had a lab for this awful biology class. Yes. But um, so, yeah, that was also not my favorite. So, you want to hear my secret? Um, In order to graduate, we had to have. I think just two sciences. I forget what I did in my senior year because I didn't take physics, but I have a master's degree and have never taken biology. That's how much I hate science. Wow. I, somehow I suffered through chemistry, but by God, I did not want to cut up an animal. So I got out of biology. Interesting. Yeah, I, 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 it's really weird. I wish I had liked it more because I really think it's interesting now as an adult, but I despise it then. Was it was I did not like history. I yeah. Oh, like, I oh, was, totally like, different yeah, so. as an adult, right? Yeah. I love yeah. history. Like I'm the guy now who like when we go to, um, like if you go to a museum or whatever. Now I'm reading everything. Like mm-hmm. you know. And my family's like, oh, my God, what are you doing, Dad? You're reading everything. I'm like, this is fascinating. But back then, I was like, meh, whatever. So right. yeah. so we got, a little, I mean, that's a that's a great conversation. It had nothing to do really with accountability, but except for my connection yeah. to accounting. Um, <laughs> so let's kind of make it. This will be the non-silky segue brought to you by Silk Milk <laughs> and Segway walking things because it was not silky. It's kind of cumbersome, but that's okay. You had that at times. Um so as I said earlier, we've, we've kind of been talking about, you know, healthy habits for 2023 and, and we're talking about accountability today. Uh, so to, to, in your mind, what's like your working definition of what is, what is accountability? What, what does it mean to, to have accountability in your life? I think back, like when I was a teenager, back when I was a teenager, back you know, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Walked uphill both ways, but you know, like that's right. It was very much like the buzzword, you know, like how there are trends in ministry, but the trend was accountability groups and accountability partners. Not that that's not still a thing, but it makes me think of being a teenager and um, like, it also makes me think of being at like big events and the speaker telling everyone that they need to have someone that they are able to talk to and confess to and be totally accountable with. Um, that's what it makes me think of. And, and sure, I think those relationships are still a part of my life, but it's not. Um, yes. Thank you. That's the word. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's funny. You know, I, I think we've talked about this that I grew up, I grew up in the Baptist church and um, shout out all my Baptist peeps that are listening. Um and, and 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 I was the same way, and and I was growing up in te- as a teenager. The, the thing was to have an accountability partner, mm-hmm. you know. And it, but it was it was almost this formal um, thing. Kay, what what comes to mind, or what's your kind of working definition of accountability? Well, first of all, I'm older than you two because I did not growing up ever hear the word accountability. I mean, as far as like your faith is concerned. Huh. <laughs> um, yeah, I know. Not until I got into ministry as an adult, and then it became a buzzword. But um, I think it's interesting, Laura, that you just said confess to. I think that that's oh. interesting. Um, but when I think of accountability, I think of um, just someone who helps you stay on track 
Mm. Um, and w- however that looks, in my opinion, is what it should be. So is it that, um, you know, that let's say it might be a New Year's resolution and and you need someone to help you stay accountable or it might be a workout buddy or it could very well be someone who helps you um, um, in your faith walk. Yep. Um, but I think it could be a myriad of things. Um, I, I, you know, whatever um, we need to stay in that healthy realm, whether it's physical, spiritual, mental. Um, yeah. So I looked up the definition of a, of a, well, of accountability. It says basically to be accountable, you know, the, the state of being super accountable. helpful. I'm like, Thanks guys. So look at the word accountable and, and it actually has this word answerable. Like you have someone, and I think about that, you know, having someone or someone or a group that you're accountable to is it's someone that you answer to. And and it's not a, you know, to me, when I think about accountability, I think about, um, so part of this is me being the extrovert. And if you're introvert, if you're an introvert out there, it, it may look different for you, but, but, you know, I, I am going to be much, I am much more likely to follow through if I know someone's going to be checking on me to see if I've done it because I want, and I, part of that's probably that and I, I have a, I hope it's a healthy um, dose of, of, of want to, wanting to please people and not disappoint people, you know? And mm-hmm. so if I know, for example, let's use the gym as an example. If, if I'm going to, if, if it's going to be left to me to go to the gym, you can forget about it. I mean, I've, I've been saying I was going to go to the gym now for, you know, we're in the middle of, of January. I was going to start January 1 going to the gym. I haven't been yet, you know. But if I was to, if if I told you all before that Michelle's dad goes to the gym every morning at 5 o'clock, and if I told him I was going to go with him tomorrow morning, I'd get up at 5 o'clock and go with him. But I don't want to do that enough to tell him that. You know, but if because I did, I would, I would, because I didn't want you think he's gonna, or especially if I've got to meet somebody there, I know they're gonna be there looking yeah. for me. And I'm like, okay, I'll be there. So mm-hmm. it's just a little bit, of, I'm answering to somebody. I thought that was a pretty, um, pretty, pretty, uh, helpful way to think about accountability. Um, what, what, what are some things that, what are some characteristics of, of healthy accountability? Like, what, what do you look for? Or what do you feel like you people that, that a person might need um, if in terms of to, to for a for a healthy accountable accountability relationship or or I don't know if relationships the right word, but for mm-hmm. help for, for good effective mm-hmm. accountability, what's needed? I think it needs to be reciprocal. Um, Ooh, that word. There's your SAT yeah. word of the day. Well, then I was like, I'm going to stumble all over it, but that's where <laughs> I was thinking of. Um, don't ask me to spell it because I definitely can't. But um, but I think that it's not just one sided. I think that's important. Um, if you've yeah. got a relationship, I mean, of course, that's important in any relationship. Can't be one sided, yeah, but for sure. Um, for it to truly work, I think you both have to be answering to one another. Yeah. Cause you, if it's, if it's a yeah. one-sided accountability, it becomes an, a, a, a nagging. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, and yeah. so it's just one person nagging the other to do their part, but if it's reciprocal, then it's, it's, it's accountability if it's without that recip- reciprocity. How about that? Ooh, Ooh. Wow. You took it up a level. I just trumped, <laughs> I just trumped your SAT word. Yeah. Kay's gonna Kay's gonna blow us out of the water with her English background and come up with some like reciprocity because I mean 
<laughs> no, I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, if you don't have that reciprocity, then it just becomes one person's nagging the other. Yeah, that's you something you're going to add, Kay, about what you think it takes. Um, I think there needs to be a level of trust mm-hmm. and um, and non-judgment too. You know, and um, you're walking a fine line because you want to hold each other accountable without nagging, nagging or feeling um, bad, but yet you're not saying, "Oh, that's okay. You didn't." You didn't meet me at five o'clock for the last five days. It's fine. It's fine. Or, um, you know, oh, you haven't, whatever it is, you haven't, you know, written in your prayer journal at all this week. It's okay. Don't feel so bad. And it's not that because that's the point of being accountable, right? So, yeah. um, so I, I think if you had any background in coaching, I think that that's where coaching comes in, where it's, not making you feel bad, but helping you um, figure out then w- w- what are the roadblocks? Why, you know, why aren't you able to do this? And asking more questions than maybe passing judgment. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense at well, all? No, I think, but I think you're exactly right in that the trust is what is what uh, allows that to happen. And, and mm-hmm. trust, in my mind, when I hear the word trust, it infers that that there is a, a relational bond that's strong enough to handle me pushing back on you or pushing back to what you know that that so when i was in when i was in seminary i took a counseling class and i'll, I'll always remember that um the professor talked about using the bridge method when it came to counseling and he says basically the idea is you have to as a counselor with a client that you have to build a relational bridge that's strong enough to hold the weight of the, the conversation. And so basically, you know, you're not going to start off in the first time you meet a client diving into their deepest, darkest, you know, struggles. You're going to start building that relationships. So you can start almost like surface area, but what that's doing is it's not, it's not um, just small talk. It's building that relational bridge and building enough support in that bridge that would then, then later on down the road, you built that relational bridge that's strong enough to hold the weight of the conversation. And so that's what I think, you know, that, that by that trust happens over, through relationship and, and over time building that relationship. I, I think the one thing that I would add to that, and I'm, I'm going to become like captain vulnerability, I guess. I feel like I say that to everything, but um, but it's vulnerability and, and being it, it takes some it I think in order for it to be effective, it takes on both sides. It takes some willingness to be open and honest and, and open yourself up to criticism and being able to take that. And sometimes if you're sensitive to that, then it's not going to be a good fit. Um, and, and the accountability is not going to be effective because then you if you can't take the criticism, eventually your your account whoever's holding you accountable is going to stop offering any feedback because it's hurting your feelings or you're getting defensive or or those sort of things are, are going to happen. So that's that's the vulnerability is one thing I think um that I would add. Any anything else come to mind on that on that side of things or well I think with the vulnerability is authenticity. I think that goes hand in hand. Yeah. Yeah. I thought of when you said that, because that's so true. You have to, have to be able to be real. Yeah. I think both of those are, are pieces of, 
are pieces of building trust as well. As mm-hmm. trust is built, um, it creates the as as trust is built, it creates um, uh, a a um, oh my gosh, what's the word I'm looking for? As trust is built, it creates a um, <laughs> oh my gosh, I am struggling. <laughs> A, I, a an atmosphere, an atmosphere. It, it creates an atmosphere <laughs> where vulnerability and authenticity are 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 there. So, Callie, that was really bad. But, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was a good thought. It's just it took the way right. it, it processing the thought was ugly. <laughs> so, my question is then: How do you, especially if you are a staff member at a church? I think it's. How do you find an accountability partner um, who you can trust, who you can be open and real with? Um, yeah. How do how have you gone about finding that person? I think as a staff member in a church, sometimes um, it can be really helpful to get to know people who are on staff in other churches Maybe that's in your town. Maybe that's not. Maybe that's somewhere, you know, whatever that may be. Um, I think that because within your church, you may not be able to be totally transparent, not transparent. That's not the right word. Vulnerable um, Mm -hmm. with someone who is a part of your church, because it looks different being on staff from being a member of the church. And, um, and so I think you need to find somebody that you can just kind of really share all of that with, um, to be accountable with. I think about, um, there, I, Kay and I are both a part of a, a Facebook group, women in youth ministry. And I think that group for a lot of people really is kind of an accountability group. It's, um, of course, that's not the same as an in-person kind of thing, but it's a lot of people kind of come on there and say, I just need to kind of check myself on this and kind of explain a situation. And, and it's helpful because the folks in there are all a part of youth ministry or somehow connected. And so they have that kind of same basic understanding, but, um, but they're not in the exact same situation. So, you know, I think if you can find someone um, who has some sort of understanding of what ministry life is, but is not necessarily a part of your local church might be helpful. Yeah, I think that's good. Um, I, I was going to, you know, I, I would, and I would even say to add to that is, is it doesn't have to be someone who even does the same thing that you do. Mm-hmm. Now I think there's, there's obvious, there's obvious value in a network like you're talking about Laura where you've got yeah. people who aren't necessarily on the same staff that you are but they they're they're part of your tribe they get what you do there's obvious value in that mm-hmm. but i think you know that that it's it could also be someone who's completely not connected to ministry or if you're a a uh a contractor, you know, it's someone who's not connected to construction. I think having that perspective um, could, could be valuable as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, Kay, I think it depends on the, what, is, what kind of accountability you're, I think you have to be, you have to take into to account what it is you're looking to be held accountable for. Like if you're talking about 
being held accountable for job performance or, you know, in a church, then there, there should be some, hopefully in your church structure, whether that's a, you know, United Methodist background or a Baptist background, Presbyterian, there's some built in structure for accountability. Um, too often, I think those things, those, those institutional um, accountability pieces are abused and not used well. So mm-hmm. I think having conversations before you get to the point that you need it or, or as soon as possible, you know, when you start a new, in a new ministry area, having conversations about, about with those who are a part of that structure to say, what does this look like? You know, I, I, my experience with churches, for, for example, in terms of staff is whatever the staffing team or committee is in your church is, you know, very few of most churches are not really good at doing like yearly reviews yeah, or, right. you know, or, um, or, or even setting clear expectations of what you're being held accountable to. Mm-hmm. And so those things are important, I think. So I think if you're looking at like job kite things, then, then you want to think about on those lines. But if you're looking at, you know, spiritual growth accountability, then that may, that's going to need somebody, that's going to need to be somebody who you have a, 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 a different type of relationship than a coworker. It's going to be someone right. who's a friend that may be a coworker, but it could be somebody who's a friend who does the same kind of work, or it could be someone who does something completely different. So I think that's that, that question, I think, but I think that, so to answer that question, I think depends on the type of accountability or what you're being held accountable for or what you're answering to. But I also think that ultimately it comes to, to find, you know, how do you find that person? I, I think it's, you had to just really bathe it in prayer. And that sounds like hyper spiritual. I don't mean it to, but but I think it it needs to be something that you take. You don't just flippantly say to somebody, "Hey, I'd like you to be my accountability partner." You know, it's going to take some time and some and some testing with them. Mm-hmm. But did you have any thoughts about that, Kay, to answer your own question? Um, I, I always found um, even close friends outside of even my denomination. Um, that had in some cases no clue what I did exactly, especially, you know, once you get away from the local church and started working for the conference. Um, that to me, I think was helpful. Like what you said, Laura, outside of your congregation or um, because then it strips away all the expectations that um, either other staff members or your congregation has for you, you know, and you're just starting out as a person, not as, you know, a youth pastor mm-hmm. or a children's minister or whatever role it is. So, yeah. Maybe we need to create an app that is like a dating app, but it's an accountability partner. Really? And oh so my gosh. Swipe right or swipe left. That? Who's your accountability So if you're partner. listening and we get, if we get an ad in the next few weeks on our phones about right. accountability apps and you're listening to our podcast, we'll we're going to expect some royalties. We're coming after you. That's right. That's right. Because right. you owe us money. You owe more money. We're going to hold you accountable. We're going to hold you accountable for stealing our There idea. it is. <laughs> That's pretty funny. <laughs> Yeah. So I think, um, I mean, I, I, the only other thing I was thinking about was, you know, how do you, is, do you guys have any thoughts about how do you incorporate accountability 
into ministry, you know, it, or, or would it be beneficial to, to incorporate, you know, accountability into ministry? Do you see any, any tips for that or any importance to that or just meh? Well, again, it's, that's hard to do when, yeah. when you yourself find the, the best um, accountability partners organically. Um, you know, I think that is extremely hard. So I think, um, though, allowing for opportunities of interaction yeah. is helpful. So, you know, whether it be, um, I you know, like, yes, small groups, of course, but also I think the more creative ways of getting people to interact, like, um, I know there's been group that one of the ones that I love is, um, like, table of eight or something like that, where you're actually getting together over a meal um, or also finding intergenerational. I'm all about intergenerational ways of getting people to connect um, over maybe common hobbies or teaching um, hobbies to students or whatever. Um, But I think giving opportunities and then, always talking about accountability and, and, model, and I think modeling is one thing yeah, I said yeah, too. That's what I was going to say yeah, too. Yeah. I just stole your answer. Nah, 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 nah. Thanks a lot, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think, I think that that's key though, because I think, I think one of the things that what I said earlier that, you know, I remember accountability partners being that big thing when I was up in the church, there was a there was a sense of or at least it was a perception from my standpoint as a young person and it could be because i was a teenager you know and didn't want to do anything <laughs> but but it was almost as if if you didn't have an accountability partner then you then it you weren't really making a true christian right you <laughs> yeah yeah it was almost like this you felt bad if you didn't have an accountability partner and so it was so it was forced Yes. So I think finding a way to encourage people, I do think there is extreme value in having people. And I think there, you may make more progress towards the goal you're seeking to make progress in if you have someone holding you accountable. But I think encouraging folks to do that and helping them see the benefits of it, which I guess gets back to modeling versus just making them feel that guilty about it would be my key Mm -hmm. to to, whether, again, whether that's adults or teenagers or or whatever, it, it would be much more helpful. Um, than just you know forcing them to do it or or versus versus making it just like another box to check like okay i've read my bible this morning i said my prayer i have an accountability partner you know it's not that either that's good yep really good cool i think that's a pretty good conversation hopefully that's hopefully you found something helpful there about accountability you know, if if you've got some 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 tips that that you found effective in in your life or in your ministry, uh, feel free to share those with us on social media. Cultivate Group, uh, C U L T I V eight Group on Instagram and Facebook. Um, we'd love to see those when we post this on on those social media outlets. Um, and hopefully that's helpful for you. Um, but also in your in your personal life in your personal world not just in your ministry world um, to bring this thing back full circle. I found a, um, a uh, random fact of the week as always. And, and actually um, this is, this is this, I did not have a silky segue to get us into this, but this is going to bring this thing back full circle. 
And you're going to think that I like tied this up in a bow, but it didn't. <laughs> um, anybody want to guess what a degree in viticulture and enology is? You can major in this at Cornell. You can major in wine at Cornell University. Huh. Huh. How about that? Technically, it's a degree in viticulture and enology, also known as the cultivation of groups and the science of winemaking. Wow. You can major in wine at Cornell. At Cornell. At Cornell. That so that if you can, is if you can get into Cornell, part. Yeah. If you can get into Cornell, you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just well, trying to figure out if this is really the, a good um, idea. What's really the, good. the name of the person who does the wine at the restaurant? Sommelier? Yeah. I mean, that's pretty an elite, like, career. Yeah, it's got a fancy title. It's an elite it career. Elite. Elite, yes. Let's Google but how many. Can you imagine? How you you go to Cornell and you work at a restaurant. You know, I mean, like. I don't know. Cornell does not yeah, seem like I spent three hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> yes, like I think you could probably get that training elsewhere, and still, that's my oh, wow. thought. Okay, so you oh. said it was an elite job to be a some. How do you say that word? Sommelier, right? Sommelier. Is that how you say it? Yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. How many sommeliers are there in the U.S.? You want to guess how many master sommeliers there are in the U.S.? No, four. <laughs> huh? Four. It's not quite that elite. <laughs> Is there more You're than building a, it up? Ten thousand? No, there's a hundred and seventy-two. What? Okay, oh. I guess they all went to Cornell. Look at me this, not knowing this, stuff. Okay, what's the average salary? <laughs> this represents this represents uh, roughly sixty-four percent of the world's two hundred sixty-nine master sommeliers. What's the average salary? Uh, That's a good question. Average. Hold on. You gotta give me a second. Y'all talk among yourself while I look for I this. I bet it's <laughs> higher than the average ministry salary. What are you bet? Oh, well, that's not <laughs> saying much. <laughs> I might start studying grapes. I don't know. Yeah. Average, uh, average salary. The national median level one sommelier salary is $55,000. Average salary. Uh, let me find, find. Oh, where'd that go? I mean, that's where you're starting, right? Yeah. Right. That's right. as much and as an architect makes coming out of college. A master sommelier. Uh, those with a master sommelier title earn a median salary of $164,000 a year. Wow. All right. All right. Well, I have learned all kinds of things tonight. I know. How helpful. I mean, you know, you come and you think you're only going to hear about ministry. <laughs> but then but you I hear talk, to, we talk about accounting, then, accounting yeah. and history and sommeliers. And, yeah. and then you um, figure out that it's time for a career change. So <laughs> here we go. We'll help you. Can That's you right. You see, to end. You We're here some, for you. Some poor person in ministry goes like, Goes to their goes to their supervisor at their church. It's like I think I feel like God's calling me to something else. I learned it on a podcast. I'm going to be a sommelier. 
<laughs> well, that's what you get here at the Cultivating Ministry Podcast. Chase your dreams. We're gonna, that's right. Chase your dreams. Go far beyond what you ever expected. Uh, you never thought that you were going to get uh, encouraged to be a sommelier in the Cultivating Ministry Podcast. Uh, but talk us- to your accountability ability partner. <laughs> That's, That's right. right. Run, it by the, run it by your client. Right. Sure Before you quit your day job. That's right. <laughs> that's really fun. Well, hopefully that's helpful. Listen, tune in next week. We'll we'll wrap up our if series. Not, of- we're sorry. You know, yeah. we're sorry if it wasn't helpful at all. Yeah, if it doesn't work out, <laughs> it's, not our, it's not our fault. Um, anyway, join us next week. We'll wrap up our, our, um, our series on healthy habits talking about um, healthy conflict and how we can uh, look at conflict a little, a little bit differently. Conflict, conflict. What did I say? Conflict. One of uh, those. As always, if you enjoyed the podcast, uh, like, rate, review, subscribe. Leave us a review. That's a big time for us. Helps us out a lot. We'd love for you to do that if you're listening. Um, mm-hmm. Reach out to us on social media. Cultivate uh, Group. Uh, visit our website, cultivategroup.org. Uh, you can see all kinds of great helpful resources there. If we can be of any service to you, reach out to us. We'd love to connect, uh, have a conversation with you in the future. But as always, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on the Cultivating Ministry Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Cultivating Ministry Podcast. Strategies, resources, and conversations equipping leaders to cultivate healthy ministry environments. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to like, rate, and review our show wherever you get your podcasts. We would love to connect with you on social media, so follow Cultivate Group, that's C-U-L-T-I-V, the number eight group, on Instagram and Facebook. And check out our website at cultivategroup.org, that's C-U-L-T-I-V, the number eight group.org. Thanks for listening. See you next time.